we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands, just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Percori, an executive director of the Center. And a couple months ago, we published something by one of our analysts, Todd Benzman, who was on the scene in South Texas at the Rio Grande in the run-up to the end of Title 42. And there were a lot of people rushing across. Numbers really spiked hugely of illegal crossings, people coming in. And what he found in talking to some of the Mexican officials on the other side, because he was on both sides of the border, is that they said they were coordinating with American officials, Border Patrol officials, in sending people across the river. And this was shocking enough at the time, certainly shocked me, it shocked Todd, but one of our legal analysts, George Fishman, who's our guest today, said, assuming what the Mexican officials told Todd was actually correct, and they had no real reason to lie about it, there's more to it than simply another outrage by an administration that doesn't believe in enforcing immigration law, that potentially there is violation of the law here. And so what our guest, George Fishman, did recently is write basically what amounts to a legal memo, although there's a summary at the beginning for people who aren't lawyers if you don't want to wade through all of it, although it's not that difficult. I'm not a lawyer. I was able to read the whole thing. But laying out the case that what the Mexican immigration officials were saying was actually true, that there are people in Homeland Security and potentially in the White House who are potentially criminally liable for alien smuggling. And George wrote up what the issues were, what the legal questions were, what the implications were. He called it Rio Grande Gate, obviously a Watergate illusion, although Rio Grande Aquitic might have been possible as well. <laughs> so I wanted George to come on and without giving a, uh, you know, a law school lecture, what is a potential criminal liability by Biden administration officials, which is the kind of thing a lot of people on the right are sort of eager to believe. And, you know, often that's just not the case. You know, elections have consequences and you end up with policies you don't like. But this is not just that. This is not even the matter of, you know, sort of firing somebody for improper behavior. This is potentially criminal violations with serious consequences. So, George, thanks for joining us. And if you could kind of introduce the issue of why Rio Grande Gate, what are the potential issues here? Well, Mark, thanks so much for having me. Todd Benzman has done some extraordinary reporting for CIS down on the ground in Mexico, on the border, in Central America. But I think 
what you described a few minutes ago is some of the most extraordinary reporting that he has done. The more I thought about it, I thought, wait a second, this isn't just an outrageous policy that, that just strikes one as wrong. DHS colluding with the Mexican officials to waive hundreds of illegal aliens at a time over to cross the Rio Grande. This is potentially criminal alien smuggling under federal law, under the Immigration and Nationality Act, and serious business. I mean, potential penalties go up to life imprisonment, go up to the death penalty when, when people die as a result of these violations. And certainly, we frequently hear of uh, migrants drowning as they try to cross the Rio Grande. Just a few weeks ago, the Texas Department of Public Safety announced that they had recovered four bodies, including the body of an infant, from the Rio Grande in just a two-day period. So this is very serious business. And the thought that, wait a second, it's not just outrageous, but it seems a clear violation of federal criminal alien smuggling law. Just to play devil's advocate here, obviously, the Border Patrol wasn't, you know, going into the river and serving as a guide in helping illegal aliens across the river. So where is the alien smuggling? That is an excellent question. And I spend a lot of time in my article trying to look at that question because that is the, that is the money question. Is it actually alien smuggling? The Supreme Court just a few weeks ago upheld the constitutionality of one of the alien smuggling offenses, mm-hmm. which is encouraging or inducing an alien to come to the U.S. knowing that it's in violation of law. Hmm. And the way the Supreme Court put it, that means soliciting an alien to do it, facilitating an alien doing it. So in my mind, that would be clearly within the scope of what DHS has been alleged to be doing by the Mexican officials. There's also uh, conspiracy charges. And whoever dreamed up this plan, whether at DHS, in the White House, however high high up it goes, who knows, they would be liable to conspiracy or aiding and abetting charges. The, the really difficult question is whether the alien smuggling offense of bringing an alien into the U.S. is involved here, because as you point out, they're not being led across the river right. by DHS officials. Excellent question. It certainly would be a lot more difficult to bring prosecutions under that offense, which obviously has higher penalties than under the encouraging offense. But I mean, there have been prosecutions of, for instance, bad apple border patrol agents who, for financial gain, sure. have been bribed to help you know individual aliens be smuggled. But there's never been a prosecution where it's been the official government, even if uh, secret, official government policy to engage us in this activity. So there's really no case on point, but Congress puts in a lot of exceptions to these sort of things. There's even an exception in the statute for missionaries. And I think this probably came from Warren Hatch and Mormon Church. Right. You know, years and years ago, there's an exception for missionaries. If you smuggle missionaries in, there's no exception for government employees. And depending on the court 
and the federal circuit in which it's brought, it'll be easier or harder to prove bringing in, because as you point out, they're not being led across the river by DHS officials. But, you know, in some federal courts have said that if you were involved in the process of alien smuggling, you could be liable for bringing in, that bringing someone in doesn't stop the second they come across the border. It lasts until they reach their destination they were planning on reaching. So it would be more difficult, but certainly not out of the question that there would be some individuals who could be successfully prosecuted for bringing aliens illegally into the U.S. Now, one of the questions you dealt with in your memo is that the prohibition on alien smuggling says, you know, bringing somebody or encouraging them or facilitating it to cross at a place other than somewhere officially designated. In other words, what that means is a port of entry, the, the legal crossing points. One of the questions you dealt with was if the Border Patrol said, hey, come on over, are they then kind of creating an officially designated place to cross? That's kind of an interesting question. It's a fascinating question. You know, would the Biden administration be so brazen as to say, you know, any place we wave an illegal alien in to cross the Rio Grande? magically becomes a port of entry, magically becomes a designated uh, location to enter. I, you know, possibly they could argue that. Whether a federal court would accept that sort of argument, I, th- I, I think it's highly unlikely. But, you know, who knows? If there were any prosecutions, I think the prosecutions, the the legal judgments coming out of it would be fascinating because I'm sure that when Congress drafted these statutes, they didn't have in mind that a president and his administration would come into power and decide to carry out an open borders policy, let's engage in mass alien smuggling. So it's uh, certainly unique and would certainly generate a lot of law law review articles. (laughs) Right. I mean, it would be of a piece with the administration's broader perspective that I wrote about recently at the American Conservative and Jason Richwine wrote recently at National Review that basically the president or this administration, I'm not sure how much the president has to do with it, but this administration seems to be taking the position they can let in anybody they want, in any number they want, any time they want, for any reason they want. And so it wouldn't actually be that much of a stretch from the perspective that they've taken to say, if a border patrol agent is on the border and tells an alien, hey, come on over, that that's magically just becomes a port of entry. It's kind of a version of Richard Nixon's our, our statement, his claim that if the president does it, it's not illegal. <laughs> One of the things you dealt with at some length in the piece was the drawing parallels to the Iran-Contra controversy back during the Reagan administration. And since this was, I mean, at this point, what, 35 years ago, there's not many people who are going to remember. So if you could sort of briefly say, not get into too much detail, but what was that, but why does it relate to this issue of possible Biden administration criminal culpability and alien smuggling? That was in the late 1980s. The Reagan administration was providing arms and support to the anti-communist 
Contra guerrillas fighting the left-wing government in Nicaragua. And then the Demo Democrat Congress came along and passed an appropriations rider saying they couldn't do it. Right. And apparently what happened was Oliver North and John Poindexter and other administration officials decided to get creative and to get money, get private money, not government money, to do the same thing, to even sell arms to Iran to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the allegations were that was illegal. And, um, you know, I don't want to relitigate Iran-Contra. And, you know, certainly there were convictions, criminal convictions of people under Iran-Contra. And, and so the court certainly determined that they felt it to be illegal. But, but, but the parallel is that the congressional committees investigating Iran-Contra, the, the Democrat-led congressional committees, and I should say, this is a little bit personal because though I had nothing to do with the Iran-Contra investigations, my first job on Capitol Hill was working for Henry Hyde, who was the uh, lead Republican on the House committee investigating Iran-Contra. And, you know, I should say, I, uh, in my archives, I have a picture taken with Fawn Hall, <laughs> who was Oliver North's secretary. Right, yeah. At the time, so it's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my my little my little brush with fame or brush with infamy, but in any event, the congressional committees were very emphatic. They had, in a sense, hectoring or lecturing the country. They issued a report, right? A joint report about this. Yeah, they, yeah. they issued a joint report, and they also had a lot of hearings, and they lectured the country that this was a threat to our democracy, this was a threat to the Constitution, that everyone needs to obey the law, including and especially the administration, that in their view, there were people in the administration who felt that they didn't need to abide by the law because they were in the right, they were doing, in essence, the Lord's work, and therefore they didn't have to obey the law. They didn't have to obey the appropriations rider. And the, the committees called this a cabal of the zealots, people who were convinced they had a monopoly of truth. And that in a phrase that typically people on the left, Democrats don't use very much, the Democrat-led committee said, the president has an obligation to, to take care that the laws of the United States be faithfully executed. And he has both a moral and a legal responsibility to do it. And government officials must obey the law. And there seem a lot of parallels here, regardless of what you think of Iran-Contra. It certainly does seem that in terms of immigration, at least, the Biden administration is being led by a cabal of the zealots who, as you know, believe in open borders and the law be damned. The astonishing thing about Rio Grande Gate, or whatever you want to call it, is that at least before this, in its efforts to let in, as you put it, anyone the administration wants to let in, the administration has been using methods of dubious legality. But right. at least they had a legal argument to make, even if it, in my view, was woefully incorrect, that they were using the parole statute or other statutes to bring in whoever they wanted to bring in. You know, so at least they had some legal argument that might pass the laugh test. 
there's no legal argument here. This is pure naked criminality. Right. And, you know, why an administration which has had such, such success in bringing in whomever they want to bring in, in whatever numbers they want to bring in, using uh, quasi-legal methods, would completely jump the shark, go over to the dark side, and use obviously completely illegal methods. You know, that's a great question. Is it hubris? Is it, you know, who knows? It's just astonishing. What Todd has uncovered is just, again, you know, unless the Mexican officials were lying, and as you indicated, what reason would they have to lie? You know, it's, it's just astounding that DHS and you know, likely people at the White House have been involved and not even involved, but created this plan. The the Mexican officials told Todd that they didn't come up with this plan and bring it to the Biden administration. The Biden administration, DHS under Secretary Mayorkas, asked the Mexicans to do this. Interesting. It was designed at DHS or it was designed at the White House. It's you know just astounding. You make the point that, you know, you would hope that the members of the president's party in Congress would, you know, heed the warnings basically of their own predecessors of Democrats in Congress in the 1980s. I mean, I think there's two things that probably militate against that. And the first is that obviously almost none of those, probably none of those people are still around. I mean, there may be a few, but this was a long time ago. This was 35 years ago. But also, Open immigration has become a kind of litmus test among even mainstream Democrats now. There's only a few Democrats who will openly and sincerely say, yes, there are immigration limits. There's a good reason for them and we have to enforce them. That's not really the case anymore. So in a sense, the cabal of zealots that the Iran-Contra people criticized do exist in this administration, but frankly, on immigration most Democrats in Congress are part of that cabal of zealots. So I hold little hope for Congress doing anything about it. And obviously, and you talk about sort of what's the path forward, it's not likely the attorney general is going to do anything about it since he's part of the cabal, as it were. You know, what do we do about this other than just write a legal memo and say, Biden administration, at least in this instance, if the allegations are true, is guilty of criminal wrongdoing. What's next? What do we do about that? Great question. The first thing I'd mention is that even though he's 92 years old, Lee Hamilton, who also you know led the 9-11 Commission or was one of the leaders of the 9-11 Commission, headed the House of Representatives investigations of Iran-Contra. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. It would be interesting for someone to ask Mr. Hamilton what he thinks. But in any event, I urge in my piece that just as in Iran-Contra, Lawrence Walsh was appointed as an independent counsel to investigate and to, and to bring charges and to prosecute, there isn't an independent counsel statute anymore, but Attorney General Garland can appoint a special counsel because clearly I don't think anyone in their right mind would think that Merrick Garland could conduct a fair investigation an objective investigation of this sort of, you know, scheme or plot within the administration. And, you know, if they did, uh, you know, in other words, even if they had to do that, you know, the result would be, well, we just can't tell. We just uh, we will never know who uh, came up with this idea. And so 
we'll just have to move on. Exactly. I'm making exactly. a cocaine and in the White House joke, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, unless the administration, unless the attorney general can be shamed into appointing a special counsel, I think the only other avenue is that should there be a new president after the next election, the statute of limitations on these crimes is at least five years in instances where the death penalty is a possibility. There is no statute of limitations, but generally it's five years. That would give ample time for the next administration to investigate and, if appropriate, bring prosecutions. And, you know, I'm not saying that President Biden had knowledge of this or was involved, just as, you know, there was no proof that President Reagan was ever involved in Iran Contra. But you know, just for the sake of argument, I don't think you can prosecute a sitting president for criminal violations. But as we know, with a certain former president, as soon as they leave office, they're open for prosecution for any crimes they were alleged to have committed when they were president. And so the next administration will have free reign. And I hope it doesn't come to that. This administration refuses to appoint a special counsel. But if it does come to that, I... I would implore the next administration to take this very seriously, conduct a responsible investigation, and if prosecutions are warranted, they should pursue prosecutions. One interesting thing is that the infamous reporter Seymour Hirsch wrote during Iran-Contra in the New York Times that the congressional committees decided not to pursue President Reagan in part because he was very old. His term as president was coming to a conclusion. And in Seymour Hersh's view, and I have no idea whether he just made this up or not, that members of the committees felt President Reagan didn't have the mental acuity to be prosecuted. I'd leave it you know, to everyone's consideration whether any of those characteristics might apply to President Biden. Now, you say that you know, the next administration could do something, but that the attorney general could be shamed into appointing a special prosecutor or independent prosecutor, whatever the wording is. But it seems to me that there's something, the the way to maybe move that ball forward would be for Congress or at least the House of Representatives, because the Republicans have a majority there, to have hearings on this. I mean, you know, at the very least, shine some light on this because attorney general is not going to be shamed into doing anything by our writing a legal memo. This is the kind of thing that it seems to me Congress, in fact, Congress has a role here in it's sort of their part of their function to do oversight and to shine a light on what's going on. I think that's a great idea. I would certainly urge, especially committees in the House of Representatives to do exactly that. And, you know, to the extent they can subpoena witnesses when they need to, though obviously I, I doubt the attorney general would enforce those subpoenas, but they definitely should investigate. One thing they need to be careful of is that the committees investigating Iran-Contra gave Oliver North and John Poindexter immunity from prosecution to testify. Uh -huh. And because of that immunity, Lawrence Walsh was, was not able to successfully prosecute North and Poindexter. And so, you know, the committees just have to be careful and think long and hard before they grant anyone immunity 
you know, regarding whatever they testify about before Congress, because that would make it extremely difficult to bring prosecutions. And again, regardless of what one thinks about Iran-Contra, you don't want to be in a situation where only the underlings end up uh, holding the bag, that only, only the minor players, the underlings get prosecuted, and the officials who dreamed up this policy get immunity from Congress to testify and then can't be prosecuted. So definitely think there should be congressional investigations. And if the administration won't agree to testify, you know, use the power of the purse. Right. Use the appropriations power to force administration officials, whether it's DHS Secretary Mayorkas or right. the White House Chief of Staff, you know, who knows, but definitely investigate. But if at all possible, don't offer immunity. Good. Thank you, George. We've been talking about Rio Grande Gate, which is the title of a publication, a legal memo that George Fishman has written about possible criminal liability on the part of Biden administration officials in actually engaging in alien smuggling. And this is a, you know, this is a a serious piece grounded in actual facts and actual law. This isn't some hysterical meditation on Venezuelan voting machines or something like that. And it's on our website at cis.org. And also in the show notes, we'll have a link to Todd Benzman's piece that actually prompted this, where he reported on this alleged alien smuggling conspiracy by Biden administration officials. And we'll see where this goes. Thanks for coming in, George. And if this develops into something more, we will have you back. Mark, thanks so much for having me. And maybe we should start referring to Todd as the Bob Woodward of CIS. There you go. Woodward and Bernstein, exactly. Yeah. Woodward well, yeah. and Bernstein. Bob Woodward, I guess, is better looking, so we'll, we'll give him that title. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thank you. And finally, I wanted to talk about a different kind of potential courtroom drama. In this case, this week, the Department of Justice has filed a lawsuit to stop Texas's putting these buoys in the Rio Grande. There are these floating buoys that are designed for maritime security, and they're using them as an additional barrier to supplement the razor wire that the Texas State Police have put up on the riverbanks to prevent illegal aliens from getting across into the United States, because the Biden administration is actually facilitating the illegal immigration of hundreds of thousands of people, as we just talked about. And apparently, the uh, White House is upset with Texas for interfering with its plans, and it has filed suit saying that Texas has violated the Rivers and Harbors Act, about which I know nothing, so I can't you know, say anything about the merits of the lawsuit. But the Justice Department spokesman said the floating barriers pose threats to navigation and public safety. There's no navigation really on the Rio Grande. But in any case, this presumably will be litigated because as Governor Abbott in his letter in response to the administration said was, Texas will see you in court. That was the literal quotation. The interesting thing is that Texas is likely to invoke in defending itself the invasion clauses in the U.S. Constitution. There's two references to states and invasion. 
that the federal government will protect states from invasion and that states are not to engage in military action except in cases of invasion. And then the Texas Constitution also has some reference to defending the state against invasion. And this is something that people have talked about, but it has not been litigated. This might be a good opportunity for that because Texas is not, in fact, shooting anybody, obviously. They're just trying to prevent people from crossing the border. So conceivably could be a test case for the invasion clauses. And it's possible that Texas will also raise the take care clause in the Constitution. It says that the president will take care that the laws are executed. And this president obviously is not doing that. In fact, is doing quite the opposite. And that also has never been litigated. We'll see what happens, but I think this presents an opportunity, and I think Texas realized that, to test whether a state is actually allowed to protect itself. This isn't about internal immigration enforcement. In other words, arresting people for being illegal immigrants once they get in. That's the kind of thing that the Arizona law from a number of years ago that the Supreme Court mostly struck down related to. This is actually preventing the physical ingress of people from a foreign country. And it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. And the thing with the buoys in the Rio Grande, you know, even though obviously there's not going to be 1,200 miles of these things, it's only intended to be like 1,000 feet in a particularly busy area to kind of break up the flow in uh, Del Rio or in Eagle Pass, I think. It may well result in some interesting legal developments, despite the fact that it's a relatively small physical effort. So we'll see how that turns out. Like most lawsuits, it'll probably grind on for months or years, uh, and we'll keep you up to date if anything happens. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in to Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Krikorian, your host. If you have any questions, complaints, what have you, email us at center at cis.org and rate and review us if your podcast platform permits for that. And we will see you next week. 